Welcome to the Truth of the Matter Is podcast. I'm your host, Daniel, alongside Jonathan, and we are back for episode 121. First and foremost, let's give a round of applause to all of our new and consistent listeners. We thank you and hope that you continue to press play at your own convenience. So a new wrinkle that we've added to begin the podcast is that, you know, we want you to consider one or two ways the Lord has blessed you last week. And with that being said, Daniel, what is one or two ways that you feel that the Lord has blessed you last week? Well, one way the Lord blessed me is having somebody um, who I didn't even know had a certain capability but they actually did end up having it because i was having some computer trouble last week which is also why our episode was uploaded so late and thankfully one of my friends was actually a person who troubleshoots computers so he was able to fix mine and you know thankfully we're back because of that So you're just going to say the one way that God's blessed you? Can you think of another one? Think of a second one. Oh, yeah, reconnection. Um, Sometimes a lot of things can be fixed just with communication. And uh, I think that was a good way that the Lord blessed me. I put in good good people in my life. Okay. Good reconnection with other people. Gosh, you totally understand. So the way I was blessed last week is I actually went to a store to purchase a salad from sweet green and it so happened to be that as i was picking my items to put in the salad the gentleman that was preparing my salad has some tattoos of naruto so i like anime and one of the animes that i enjoy watching is naruto and this gentleman happened to have a few tattoos and one of them was Naruto doing the Rashengan and he had it on his forearm and he had the shining gun on his hand and I think we hit it off and because we hit it off once we got to the register he said hey is this everything that you're getting and I said yes and he turned around and used it as an opportunity and told me hey you know just take it and I said really he's like yeah just take it so what I've learned out of that situation is a lot of times people are looking for connections and they're looking for something in their day, right? Their day can be going terribly. Their day can be, you know, uninspiring and you never know something that you discuss with somebody or a conversation that you start can actually be uplifting to somebody. It can generate them a new or fresh And it seemed like in that moment in time, us just having a little dialogue about something we agreed with seemed to hit him in the right spot. And as a result of that, he blessed me with me not having to pay for the salad. Now, the second way I was blessed last week was that I've been having some issues with one of my tooth, and it's been causing me a lot of pain. And I've sort of been monitoring it knowing eventually i will have to go back 
to the dentist and I hate the dentist. I hate getting shots. I hate needles. And the last experience that I have didn't really like it. So since then, I haven't been back since that moment. And I want to say that with the pain that was overbearing, dad gave me a painkiller and that painkiller sort of knocked out the pain and I've been able to manage it until I've made it to the dentist and we're just waiting for the approval of the insurance where I will have to go in and get a root canal done. Not looking forward to that, but hey, we take one day at a time. So I'm just glad that I was able to see a bright side in that moment. And until it's time for me to go back in the procedure chair, I am glad and thankful for the now being time. So do you want me to go with you? No, Danny, I do not need you to go with me. You sure? I think you misunderstood. I said I don't like it. It doesn't mean that I can't man up and do what's required of me. You know, if you need any more support, you know, I'm here for you. I'm aware of that. I appreciate that. And you know what? I do want you to pray for me from a distance. I would appreciate that. Your prayers do go up, and I will remember that you prayed. How's that sound? I mean, I could be there in person. You don't have to pray. No, you have a responsibility at work. All right, if you say so. What does that look like as a 29-year-old? I will be fine. Okay. I will be fine. Appreciate your concern. I I really do. I hear you. All right, so before we dive into... Yeah, I I hear you. Question is, you don't know where the location (laughs) is. (laughs) Okay, so you're done now. I want to make sure you're done. Finish? Okay. Before we dive into the topic for today, first and foremost here on the Two Feather Matters podcast, we believe in leading with prayer. So we're going to do that to begin. So is this the prayer of or like the normal podcast or the prayer that I come with you? I mean, that's something you have to do individually for the time being. But this one You say you was going to pray. No, I said you will be praying Oh, okay. for me I think in I that moment that. in time when it arrives. And I'll let you know when it is. But for right now, we're praying for the audience and we're praying in preparation for the word. All right. Oh, God, in the name of Jesus, we just want to start off our prayer by saying thank you. Now, of course, there are so many things to say thank you for. And of course, you know that. But I just believe that it is a good place to start. Thank you, Lord, for you being our beginning and our end. Of course, you know our highs and our lows, and yet, and yet, you've decided to remain faithful and present through it all for us. Well, I pray that we all come to see how good you are one day. For those who haven't, we're praying for them. Listeners, please keep them in your prayers as well. Again, please keep them in your prayers as well. It's never too late. Amen. Lord, open up our eyes to your word today. Give us understanding. Provide comfort and ridicule when necessary. And of course, relevation. Allow our hearts to accept your truth, the only truth that matters. 
Let our minds continue to search you. And once we find you, give us the experience of what satisfaction feels like. Now, if you desire that experience today and moving forward and you're listening, we encourage you to repeat the prayer and say it like you mean it from the heart. So in faith, Lord, we say these things with surety and confidence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So continuing with the Gospel of Matthew series, that brings us to where we left off at last time. Myself and Daniel got in, got together, and that was chapter seven. Today we are going to be looking at a set of verses that I have in the past mentioned over and over again at nauseum. We're going to be talking about that today. Now we're going to be looking at Matthew seven, verses seven through twelve. There's a section of this that I want to look add a few other translations like the NLT, the Message Bible. But for now, we're going to be checking out this particular passage in the English Standard Version. Okay, Daniel. Act and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who acts receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you if his son asks him for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If then, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Very good. Good job, Daniel. So for today, rather than start with verse 7, we're going to work our way from verse 12 to 10 and then from 7 to 9. Again, we're going to work our way from verse 12 to 10, backwards basically, and then forward, verses 7 to 9. There's a method to my madness if you follow along. I hope you will soon find out what the reasoning is behind this pattern that I'm going to be doing. So beginning at verse 12, I want to go to the message Bible. And I know we've read this in the English standard, but I want to begin and start with this verse in the message Bible. So we're looking at those who are following along. Matthew chapter 7 verse 12 in the message Bible. Here is a simple rule of thumb guide for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you, and then grab the initiative and do it for them. Add up God's law and prophets, and this is what you get. So the Message Bible calls it a rule of thumb. They call it a rule of thumb. But we all know it to be called the golden rule. So what is the golden rule? Well, for one, it's a biblical principle for starters. And as a 29-year-old, I know a lot of worldly people quote it and they actually don't have any idea that it's a biblical principle but hey that could be broke that could be breaking news for some who don't know this now a practical response would be it's a general rule of thumb by the way this is for those who don't know what the golden rule is 
or don't know what the rule of thumb is. It's a general rule that's supposed to ensure fairness when it comes to generalities or activity. I'll repeat that for those who can't catch it the first time. The golden rule or the rule of thumb would be a general rule that supposes to ensure fairness when it comes to generalities or activities. So the issue is when we think of fairness, we picture an evil playing field. When we think of fairness, we picture an even playing field. Unfortunately, on a lot of levels, this doesn't happen. History has told us this isn't happening until this very day. The evil playing field is not a reality for most of us. So why do you think we pray? Well, we pray because we need God to even the playing field. We pray because we need God to even the playing field. We need favor against the things that happen in this world. We need favor against the things that happen in this world. We need favor. We need help. We need discernment when it comes to living in this world. So Paul puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12. So let's go there, and another translation we're going to look at today is the Amplified Version. Again, it's the Amplified Version. Daniel? For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, contending only with physical opponents, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly supernatural places. So again, we pray because the battle is not against one another. I know a lot of people like to say that, but the battle is actually not against one another. It's against the spiritual entities that impact the person and the context that we're in. I'll say that one more time. We pray because the battle is not against one another. It's against the spiritual entities that impact a person and the setting, the context that we're in. For example, slavery is a wicked concept. And it, it, it has impacted blacks across the globe. From a historical perspective, slavery has impacted other groups, other nations as well. We can't ignore that either. Me, being a history major, I've come to see that slavery's been quite a thing that's been adopted and has transpired quite often. Now, slavery has happened all over, and it just happens to be one of America's greatest sins. Of course, when it comes to the building of this country, we know that slaves were brought over, and they were forced to do labor, they were forced to pick cotton, they were forced to do a lot of things. And as a result of that, we're living on stolen soil, technically. Okay? Now, if you're being honest with yourself, you'll notice that there are gaps in terms of equal level playing fields. Now, with that being said, let me repeat that again. If you're being honest with yourself, you'll notice that there are gaps in terms of equal playing field. We see that with women, we see that with men, 
we see that where racial restrictions come into play. But the question that you have to ask yourselves, the things that we see in these moments when they happen, of course, they, the, the unequal gaps that occur, is that an excuse to treat others and place them beneath you? No. Which is why all of us, every single last one of us, will be held accountable for our own personal choices outside of the society norms. Say that again. It's not acceptable or an excuse to treat others and place them beneath you because of the unequal level playing field. And as a result of that, every single last one of us will be held accountable for our own personal choices outside of the society norms. Now, scripture says this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. And we're going to take a look at this in the Amplified Version. I tell you. On the day of judgment, people will have to give an accounting for every careless or useless word they speak. Not in the least will you be getting away with anything. That's what the scripture said. You're not going to get away with a single thing. But every word that you speak will be questioned. Every word that you speak will be monitored. Especially if it's the degrading and the belittling and the assassination of another person's character. So, of course. Let me ask you something. Yeah, sure. So, how do you go about repenting if you feel you've done something wrong? Just well, staying in a prayer? Yes, yeah, so prayer. Like, Lord, I know I've made some mistakes. Sometimes, like one of the prayers that I say is I say, Lord, forgive me for the things that I'm aware of or the things that I'm unaware of, who I've offended, who I haven't offended, what I've said. I pray and I ask for the forgiveness of my sins in that regard. That's what I would say, because we don't know. It's kind of interesting. I, I, I've had conversations with people and you come to realize that some people hold grudges and the grudges that they hold. You never know nothing about until the relationship takes a turn and you resurface conversation and you start to realize that someone's interpretation of what you said in some capacity offended them. Now, you know, there's a difference between reality and perception. But if you want a relationship to remain intact, sometimes you have to make amends for how you made that person feel, even though it wasn't your ill intent. And that just has to do with just being a person that desires to make amends for the things, right? I think scripture was clear that if you offend a brother or sister, leave your gift at the altar and make peace with them. So as followers of Christ, our goal is not to leave things open-ended, but to do the best, you know, to do the best thing possible to resolve those issues. Because a lot of people walk around with a lot of baggage from prior situations and conversations. And it could play a role in how they think. And unfortunately, it could be a burden to them about how they think about themselves, about how they think about the moments. And we just have to do a better job, I think, overall about being very cautious and careful, especially in this day and age, about the things we say 
and the impact that it can have. And I think as long as you're being cautious and careful and making amends, I think you are walking out the Christian life practically every single day to the best of your ability that you're aware of when it comes to other people. Fair enough. Okay. So, of course, now I bring this up because when we think about who we are as individuals and who we are in a group, right? A group dynamic, right? There's a difference. There's a difference between who we are as individuals versus who we are in a group. And there's a lot to be desired about when we look at this, right? Why? Well, because you can't give an account as a whole when it comes to certain approaches and preferences. But you must be honest and sure of who you align yourself with. And, of course, be strong in your convictions at the end of the day when it comes to being addressed and dealing with it. So. When it comes to the rule of thumb or the golden rule, I think it's critical that we make sure that we are fully aware that we're going to be individuals who take the initiative to be real, to be authentic, to be legitimate, to be unbiased, and to be consistent when it comes to having a basic standard of morale, right? We want to be people who keep our word. Now, if you aren't going to be that, or you aren't going to hold that standard, then unfortunately you aren't practicing and withholding the golden rule or rule of thumb. And quickly you realize this isn't something you can fulfill. Now, I took a while. And I took my time as I pondered on why I believe people are having a hard time and can't fulfill the golden rule or the rule of thumb. And what I came up with is I noticed that this was a simple resolve and yet a hard pill to swallow. And that is this. The issue is a lot of us are dealing with issues of sin and heart problems. And what do I mean by this? I mean, the issue on why we can't fulfill the golden rule and we can't fulfill the rule of thumb is that we're living in sin and our hearts aren't right when it comes to how we treat others. So let's go to some scriptures to support the things that I'm saying, of course. Let's go to Romans chapter 7, and we're going to look at verses 18 through 20 in the English Standard Version. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it but sin that dwells within me. So I want to be clear about something here, right? When we take a look at a person who does good deeds for others, that does not make that person good. Now, it's a good action. It's a good act, but it doesn't make you a good person. It's a form of goodness, but 
It's a form of goodness, but that does not make the person who did it all of a sudden good. Okay. I know that's what many religions teach and it's adopted and it's been mentioned quite often that I'm a good person. And at least within the context of conversation like this, it's something that we have to address and we have to be mindful of. Okay. So I understand that if that if you do enough good things, according to a lot of religions, you have books, your ticket to heaven. However, the Bible teaches this. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. And we're going to look at this in a simple version, the NIV. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So, clearly, the scripture is very clear here. Us being saved has nothing to do with what we do but it happens to do with who we know so it's not a matter of how much you do even though what you do is a good thing as a result of your understanding of what Christ has called you to be but none of it goes towards a list of things you've done that you could then use as a case to why you deserve to be in heaven Okay, so here's something else that needs to be addressed, right? You are not born with the Holy Spirit, and I understand that that's another thing. Let no one deceive you into believing that you have something good in you. That's a lie from hell, unfortunately. Again, you do not have the Holy Spirit inside you waiting to be awakened or lit like a fire. That's the news age concept. So I want you to be watchful and know that that does not come from the biblical narrative. Now, guess what? If you did have that good inside you, then Jesus died for nothing. Keep that in mind. If you did have that good inside you that needed to be lit, that needed to be awakened, then why did Christ die? Why does scripture say that in order for you to receive the advocate, I must go? That has everything to do with us receiving the Holy Spirit as a result to Jesus sacrificing himself, being the sacrificial lamb, dying and being risen from the dead by the Father, and then him breathing the Holy Spirit onto the disciples. And that's where we get the book of Acts and the disciples waiting for the Holy Spirit to show up at that time. Now, this is why. In the Bible, it says this in Ezekiel 36, 26, and also says something very similar in Hebrews 8, 10. And I want to make sure I explain to you the differences. Now, I quite often mention Ezekiel 36, 26 because it's associated in relationship to the Jewish community. And I don't regularly mention Hebrews 8.10 because I think Hebrews 8.10 speaks much more to the salvation portion. Ezekiel 36 speaks much more to the issue upon those who have denied Jesus that are within the Jewish community. However, I do believe that the circumstances issues in regards to the heart is very similar in terms of being responsive. And you'll understand why. So I'm approaching this much more from a philosophical perspective. 
but we'll look at the verse and then I'll explain. So Daniel, uh, we're going to look at Ezekiel 36, 26, and I love it specifically in the NLT. I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Yeah, so this passage is also very similar in Hebrews 8.10. And when I think of the unbeliever, I think of a person that sees themselves as their own God, sees themselves as a person that's full of pride. And that is what makes your heart stony and stubborn. And receiving the Holy Spirit gives you a responsive heart that enables you to then not only be uh, submissive, but it also opens doors to the possibility for you to be open and, and understanding what truth is, right? A lot of people that don't have this experience in this encounter won't be responsive, which is why we need to address this. So what happens when a person is born again, right? They become responsive to God's decrees, and then they can obey with the help of the Holy Spirit to exercise the golden rule, the rule of done, not irregularly, but consistently. And when it becomes consistently, then it becomes more regularly until it is ingrained in that person's actions and in that person's life. So that's where we get the idea when people say that, you know, my relationship with Christ is not a religion, but it's a way of life. Because not every single thing that you do is reflected off of that relationship that you have with Christ. It's rooted and it's anchored not only in trust, but in a foundation that we know from Scripture that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. So we can rest assured that if God began this good work, that there will be productivity that comes out of that. Right. So. When it comes to living holy as the Lord did, it's not just an idea of doing it, but rather, again, it's a way of life. And, of course, you live to make the Lord God proud as a result of this. So, again, this is a huge difference between, well, I want to say there is a huge difference between being holy versus what the Word of God says, a form of holiness and or godliness so let's unpack that the person who isn't born again with a new heart from god will not be consistently holy instead the person will go along a path that presents a incomplete and inconsistent life of holiness right everything the person does will not be an expression would actually be an expression of outward love so this makes sense because remember what I said earlier, most people think goodness comes from the things you do outwardly. Now, there's nothing wrong with showing a token of your love and appreciation, but that does not help you move into the human perception that is you're a good person. Again, it's just good forms of acts. Go back and listen to the Beatitude series if you haven't, right? And we spoke about this. And Jesus does a phenomenal job of addressing the heart, which is where the problem really lies. Again, that would be Matthew chapter 5, 
verse 8, and this is what it says, just for those that need a reminder. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Yeah, so to be pure in heart is to be saved because Jesus gives you a responsive heart. That's what makes your heart pure, right? You're no longer keeping your old stubborn heart, and you know the ones that have that own stubborn heart are the ones that would tell you that they're not sinners, right? They're the ones that would tell you that they believe they are their own God. They are the ones that would say that there is good in me. The ones that deceive themselves into believing lies, right? Now, for as a reminder of this, let's go to 1 John chapter 8. When you look at verses 8 through 10. So again, it's 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, and this is what it says. If we claim to be without sin... We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. And this world is not for in the word and his word is not in us. Now, let's take a look at Matthew chapter seven, verse eleven. Based upon what we just discussed so far, everything I believe would make much more sense in verse 11 and verse 10. So let's, of course, begin with verse 11. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So what we have heard is just because a person is evil, that does not mean... They are not capable of giving good gifts. Remember, goodness from the world's perspective is measured based upon the things that you do. And based upon the things that you do is expressed from outward choices, outward decisions, where people can say, hey, you know, that's a good thing that you did. From a worldly perspective, it may be accurate. Remember, the idea in the majority of society and religious circles is doing good acts for some reason they believe. And unfortunately, we come to the conclusion that they're brainwashing people to believe that they are good people. When in fact, you can be wicked and evil and still know how to give someone something good and useful. Remember, Scripture says the devil was willing and you can check this out in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4 and Luke 4. And based on scripture, it said that Jesus, at the time when he was being tempted, the devil was willing to give Jesus all the kingdoms of the earth, which, of course, represented political power. He was willing to give him some political power, and all he needed to do was bow down to him. Right. Here's a rude awakening. A lot of evil spiritual forces at work in this world. From other Elohims with a false gods, little G, right? There's a huge difference. There's big G, who's Yahweh, the one true God. And then there are Elohims with the fallen angels who become gods in different parts of the world. And guess what? The rude awakening is a lot of these spiritual forces at work have a willingness to wage rewards to those if they obey. 
and some of those things of building altars to them and doing things for them, right? Demonic forces, of course, know how to reward you in the beginning of the contract with them, for sure. And then, of course, over time, you start to see that it was only counterfeit and it wasn't true. And these things happen quite often. There are a lot of different things in other religious circles that provide this. And the most important thing is that if you go and you discuss these sort of conversations with people that have dabbled in it, they will tell you that a lot of the things they did request, they were, they were rewarded in the beginning. Which shows that there isn't a discrepancy, but it's a legitimate thing. I want to make sure that we're not ignorant and that we're aware, aware that, hey, there are spiritual forces that reward you and you do see the benefits in your life. The question is, will that last completely throughout your life? Unfortunately, I mother believe that it won't, which means it's just a temporary success that you're experiencing. But eventually, the rooster crows and things start to crumble down at some point. So. Finishing up with verse 11, Jesus wants us to know that God will reward us with a lot of things. But unfortunately, those things don't come right away. And we got to wait on him. And I know that's tough. Which is why that's why other people go out to other resources. Because immediately, if they aren't receiving what it is that they ask for, they go to other outlets. But when it comes to our relationship with God, he's prohibiting us from having access to those things for a lot of reasons. Maybe it's development of character. Maybe it's not the right time and place for it. Right. We don't know right away, but it's important that we be patient, which is why we're going to go right here to a verse that I think will provide some help and clarity. Let's go to Romans chapter eight. Verse twenty five. And this is what it says. If we hope for what we do not see, we wait eagerly for it with patience and composure. Right. So the message by words. Yeah. What, why do you like it so much? Composure is everything. And patience is allow, allows you to carry out any plan that you have. So hmm. Keeping your composure keeps you in the right spirit, in my opinion. Follow I those agree. words. Right under control, most important thing. Now the message Bible yeah, says it gives you options, you know. Yeah, absolutely. gives you options. Right. Yeah. So the message Bible says verse twenty five. Very interestingly, let's check this out. Why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course. Don't see what is enlarging us. But the longer we wait, the larger we become. And the more joyful our expectancy is. Expectancy is? Our expectancy. Yeah. The larger we become, the more joyful our expectancy is. And I like this specific portion of it. Because clearly it's identifying that we, of course, don't see what's enlarging us. And I think that happens a lot of times when, you know, characters being developed a lot of times in the waiting process. We're learning and building and God is shaping and finding us in the person he needs us to be. 
and that we need to be in order for us to give us the things that we need. And a lot of times in that waiting process, as he's molding and shaping you, instantly you think you're being punished or you're thinking you're being prevented from getting a lot. But it's not until you go over a new situation and you say, you know what, I see why he was he was withholding it from me. I see why he was preventing me from having it right away. Because we see things from our limited perspective and point of view. And we don't get to see it from the perspective where God knows all, he sees all, nothing ever occurs to him. And therefore, he sees all potential possibilities of how the outcome could be. And as a result of that, he's already made a decision that this is the best option. And if we are honoring and going through a Romans 8.28, right, where it says all things work together for those who love the Lord and the call going to his purpose, then we have to just trust God. And unfortunately in life, there will never be a point where you have all the information necessary to make a decision. There's always going to be more information that you want to discover in order to make a decision that you're comfortable with. But there's always a leap of faith that you have to take. So are you going to take the leap of faith from a limited point of view? Or are you going to take the leap of faith from a point of view that God has provided? And that's one that is tested and proven and one we should trust and acknowledge. Now, with that being said, let's move forward and let's look at verses 9 to 10. Which one of you? If his son asks him for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. So upon looking at verse 9 through 10, the example is very straightforward. And in response, if a person who in return would give his son things, he does not ask for like a stone or a serpent. Well, we would like to believe that person would be unreasonable. Now, I want to touch on something that I believe happens every single day. And the truth of the matter is a person who was not saved, right? That person who was not saved is in fact, and is in fact wicked and evil, can look to do harm to their sons or daughters. We see it all the time. Not not saying that there aren't any parents who are not saved that can't, be seen as good solid people in a limited capacity they can be but what i do want to say is that there are situations and instances that we have parents in a home that do mistreat their children and do abuse them and do hurt them and harm them in ways that are just not fair right and this is the reason why the government has provided programs and assistance like acs this is why the news outlets report on this right because we have to ask ourselves questions like why would this man beat up his children and wife he couldn't have been in his right mind what pushed him or her to the edge to feel the need to execute or abuse his wife or the wife to abuse her husband right these things happen unexplainable things that logically if a person's in their right mind wouldn't do right and they're all over right check out the stories that pop up every week and we have to ask ourselves what kind of spirit was being presented there 
So the example provided here that Jesus is providing, right, as an alternative to fish and bread, I don't think it's far-fetched. I'm just providing you a different way to look at the passage, okay? From a little sense, Jesus is providing an example. But I want you to take an example, take that example and reflect upon life and the way things are now. And unfortunately, there are parents that become parents at young ages and have to make sacrifices. And if they have addictions, right, maybe it's weed, maybe it's drugs, they will do unconceivable things to harm their children to get it. Right. There's been stories that I know where you have children that are left in cars over 100 degrees and they potentially could die in there. And these are unfair things, but we're dealing with people who at the pillar or at the center of selfishness, they could be selfish, would do unconceivable things in the name of satisfying and fulfilling the things that they want. And this is the result, unfortunately, when self is put at the center and those that you're trying to take take care of and those that need the help don't get the help. Uh, Before we move forward into the next verse, is there anything you would like to add, Daniel? Nothing to add, good sir. Okay. So the name of this episode is called Keep On Keeping On. And it was actually inspired by verses 7 and 8. And here's why. So, Daniel, can you read Matthew 7? And we're going to read Matthew 7, verses 7 to 8 in the NLT. And you'll see why I titled it Keep On Keeping On. Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who acts, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds and to everyone who knocks the door will be opened yeah so over the years and conversations that i've had with christians and atheists what i hear often is how they have attempted and how they have asked god to reveal himself to them and how they have searched him who is god out and they have made so many efforts and yet they have not heard from God. They've concluded that God does not exist. They've concluded that God is not talking. They've realized or they've believed in their reality and their preview that God, unfortunately, is a fairy tale story. So I want to make a few suggestions on how you may be viewing things incorrectly. And of course, I pray that this helps. The things we ask God for, whether that's in prayer or or not, I want to ask, have you evaluated it fully? Very things that you ask God for. Have you seen what the word of God has to say about the things you ask God for? I think that's very critical and something that gets overlooked. Let's begin at 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 through 15. And I want us to take a look at this particular portion of passage in the Amplified Version. This is the remarkable degree of 
confidence which we as believers are entitled to have before him that if we ask anything according to his will that is consistent with his plan and purpose hears us and if we know for a fact as indeed we do that he hears and listens to us in whatever we ask we also know with settled and absolute knowledge that we have granted to us the request which we have asked from him beautiful so the first question from reading this is why should a believer be entitled and confident well because we are in relationship with god and therefore we should be learning and understanding how to communicate with god each and every day if we are reading his word and getting to know him as we should coming to him should be easy and second nature if you are praying every day then prayer should be easy if you aren't right if you aren't then obviously it was showing your lack of confidence because the lack of confidence will come and of course god won't know you as a result of not spending time with him so that to, you know, to actually spend time with him so that he knows you. Now, of course, I'm not saying God does not know you. He does. But the point is, God wants you to pour as much as you pour into relationships that you have in the world, into the relationship that you have with him. Right? Of course, God knows if you talk to him or not but knowing him means knowing what he expects from you while also studying his word another interesting thing in this passage of scripture that Daniel just read for the amplified version that provides us some insight is that it says this that if we ask anything according to his will that is consistent with his plans and purposes it's about identifying God's character and we're going to discuss that a little bit right now, when it comes to asking things from God, we should know his character. Why is it? Why is knowing God's character so important, right? If you don't know it, then you're asked for things that aren't consistent with his character. And then you begin to understand why you aren't getting the things you ask from God. So here are some examples of what God's character can look like, right? He's holy. He's set apart. There is no one like him. And it makes all the sense in the world that he wants us to be more like him. And that's to be set apart as he set apart. Right? That's why scripture says, come out and be separate. He says, right? He's compassionate. How, you might ask. Well, in the Gospel of John, you see Jesus as God in the flesh. And throughout the Gospels, you see Jesus addressing the needs of the people. When Jesus was teaching, right, he had a lot of people follow him. Once he was done, right, he saw the condition of the people. And let's go to this passage here, and I'll fill in the rest because we don't have time to read the whole entire passage, but I just want to read this portion. Let's go to Matthew chapter 15, verse 32. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days. And have nothing to eat. I am unwilling to send them away hungry. At least they faint on the way. So to have compassion is to see the condition of the people and then feed them. So we know he sat them, the disciples sat them on the grass in, in areas of 50 and he fed them. 
right? That's the result of having compassion that if you have a willingness to hear me and be fed spiritually and practically, then the least I can do is feed you to give you the strength that you need so that you can go back home after you've taken the time to hear the things that I have to say and hopefully you look to apply them. So that's why it's important to see this is God's character. This is what it looks like. Some of the portions of his character is that he's full of grace and mercy. We are saved. And we read this earlier, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, right? We are saved by grace, through faith, not by works, which means he's loving, right? He laid his life down for the sheep. That would be us. And now I can go on and on, right, about God's character and breaking down and, and sharing the different things that I want you to see. But the more you walk with God, the more you start to see who God is on so many levels and you begin to understand how he can be compassionate, how he can be loving. And I've seen it in my own personal life, how God has shown up and softened the hearts of those that were around me, who gave me a break, who looked out for me, who helped me in a time of need. And I knew it was God. I discerned that it was God. I didn't need anybody else to tell me. I knew with certainty it was God. Because I knew if it wasn't for God, that person wouldn't stick their neck out and do that. And of course, this is aligned with the same concept, right? There are some people that would say, oh, I just fight doing a good deed or a good thing for somebody. And a lot of cases, this is God encouraging and influencing them to work on his behalf to bless you. Which means when these things come, don't turn it away. Don't ignore it. Don't pay no attention. Be mindful of it. So. Next, when asking God for something, what is our motive? What is our intent? What is our agenda? Again, when asking God for something, what is our motive? What is our intent? What is our agenda? Let's go to the book of James, chapter 4, verse 3. We're going to read this also in the Amplified. You ask God for something and do not receive it because you ask with wrong motives out of selfishness or with an unrighteous agenda so that when you get what you want you may spend it on your hedonistic desires yeah so a hedonistic the hedonistic term simply means to engage in the pursuit of pleasure right sensual self-indulgent right meaning an ideology or a way of life that believes that happiness can be obtained by seeking as much pleasure as possible and avoiding painful feeling. Now, unfortunately, this is not realistic and it is not a legitimate reality that any of us should be convinced of ourselves as possible. This is why in scripture, in the book of James, it says, consider it pure joy, count it all joy when you face trials and tribulations and know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish his work so it may be mature and complete. Not lacking anything. If anyone lacks anything, let the next guy who gets generously without finding fault. But there's a reason why he's telling us to count it all joy and consider it pure joy. Because he's trying to get you to see that as you walk with God and things that arrive and pop up and happen, consider those moments as opportunities for you to grow. And in order for you to be better and better at things that come up, that you can't anticipate is learning how to respond in real life crisis. And the only way you're going to get that is 
you're going to get it in live situations. You're not going to be able to get those experiences if it's not live. Which is why maturity and growth. The only way you're going to see that and the only way it's going to be able to happen and the only way you're going to be able to measure those sort of things is if you experience them. And that's something that I think a lot of people don't recognize and realize. That's real life experience on the job. And that's why God allows those things to happen so that you can grow and mature from it because you're not going to go through life without going through hardships and hard realities. This is the reason why God is not. Now, this is the reason why God is not answering your prayers. God is, a, in a lot of ways, is protecting us from ourselves. I think about what he said to the disciples. Let's check this out. Let's go to the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 12, and it says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. So it takes maturity and time to understand certain things, right? You aren't always going to get it all in one setting. God understands the power of reflection and time. And so should we when things don't happen right away. Again, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for those who love the Lord and according, are called according to his purpose. So we need to be patient at times and long suffering until the proper time God's timing instead of our own. Right. We need to be patient at times and long sufferings until the proper time and that proper time is not our timing but it's God's timing instead of your own right God is not a God who hasn't left evidence of himself right which is why it's accessible to all people right in Romans chapter 1 verse 20 it says For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his internal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Right. If you pl if you plan to seek God out, it must be through an avenue of faith that bring us to that brings us to Hebrews chapter 11, verse three. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. We also can go kind of to solves the mystery, you know, uh, kind of solves the mystery of space, right? <laughs> space matter. Yeah, you know how people always like, well, it's like seeing without seeing consciousness, so all, all that stuff. How it kind of ties in. Yeah, first kind of clearly you, stated it. Yeah, it's yeah. Intended. If you go through the practical aspects of it, yes, a lot of that is addressed, but a lot of people. Rather than reading between the lines and seeing how that is very much possible, there are some people that are not convinced and they want something mapped out and put in a way that they can digest and say that this is something that's legitimate. So that's kind of how it's like a is. pointless endeavor, doesn't it? <laughs> yep, absolutely. You hit that on the knock right there. Right. So we go to Hebrews eleven six. It also says this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And what's so interesting, the script is very clear. And yet people have neglected it. They haven't read it. And then you again, it's important that people need to realize that trying to address God and talk to God from a logical perspective, even though he may be logical. We know from the book of first Corinthians that, you know, the foolishness of God is smarter than human wisdom. 
right? Which means that your desire to want to reason with God, especially at a period of time where you'd be judged, it's not the right place to want to do that. So whatever possible way people think in in regards to how certain things will be resolved, unfortunately, you don't want it to have to be resolved at the place in which potentially you will be dealing with consequences. That's the wrong thing and the wrong way to think about it. Right. So that brings us to James chapter one, verse six to eight. James chapter 1 verses 6 to 8 When you ask you must not believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord such a person is double minded and unstable in all they do Very good so this has to do a lot with the reason why we need to have faith and of course we know the, the faith of a size of mustard seed will do it's all that you need so the reason I selected the NLT is because it says plainly, keep on, which means you don't give up in the beginning. You keep, you keeping, you keeping on. You keep keeping on, right? Don't be a quitter. Don't take your ball and go home. Instead, embrace the challenge of waiting and of hard work and of losing, right? What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Tests and trials play a huge role in strengthening your faith and character this is why god allows it he does not allow so much that you can't handle it but just enough for you to learn and grow through it the reason why we are told to knock is because the greeting makes the receiver on the other end who's hearing the knock aware that you're there with no knock no one knows you're present amen Hence, if Amen. we keep on knocking, the door will eventually open. And that opening will provide you truth. And the truth is not an idea. It is a person. And that person is wanting to give you an opportunity to a blessing, to a revelation, and to a comforting and rest. God's path may take a while. It may be long suffering, but he's developing you to handle what he has laid out before you, which he has predestined you while you were in your mother's womb. And with that being said, we go and finish up with devotional time. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8, verse 3 in the NIV version, it says that he humbled you causing you to hunger and then feeding you with mana to teach you that man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord while the people were starving for guard as the people of Israel journeyed through a barren landscape you can hardly blame them for worrying about what they would eat drink or wear in such a bleak location gathering enough food for an entire nation and a land without fields for agriculture or pasture for flocks became a daily struggle for survival. How could so many people survive 40 days, let alone 40 years in such a desert? But the Israelites surely considered the wilderness the last place they wanted to be, 
the Lord wasted no time in using it for a good purpose. This thirsty land was where they would learn complete dependence on him. In part, the Lord used a difficult situation to teach his people complete and total dependence. They couldn't do anything clever or innovative enough to provide for them. Their only way out was prayer, and their only resource was God's help. So, we say this with that lesson in mind. Lord, we pray today and we say thank you for the valuable lessons that you teach me. Even in my desperate situations and lacks, help me to hunger for your word more than anything else. And all in agreement, please say, Amen. Amen.